Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring you today's best mysteries, thrillers, and suspense novels. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and we're going cozy today with my guest, Liz McGavro, the author of the Positively Organic Mystery Series. And that's positively spelled with P-A-W. The third book in Liz's series, The Icing on the Corpse, was published on March 31st. Liz, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Let's get started by talking about the series itself and your heroine, Kristen, or as you cleverly name her in the book, Stan. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I actually stole that name from a coworker because I thought it was very cool. Um, It is. Yeah, it was someone, and I didn't know this person at all. I was asked to go videotape Stan. That's all they said, go videotape Stan. So I said, okay. So I called Stan, and I expected to hear some, you know, old white man on the other line. And um, <laughs> instead I had this this young blonde woman and it was hilarious. I said, that's one way to get noticed. Well, Stan is a, is a fun character. Let's uh, share with the audience her background. Sure. So Stan is a little bit like me, not, not totally, I would say. She, um, she was a corporate girl and she was, she was really into the corporate life, um, pretty high up in, in her fictional company. And then she was job eliminated. Um, she was a, a media person, and the president of her company was involved in a scandal that she unfortunately had some trouble spinning. Um, <laughs> so as a result, they let her go. And so she decided that she was done with the corporate life, and she was going to go retreat to a small town and figure out what to do. Um, I wanted to make her a little different than some of the, the cozy characters that I'd read in the past. So I wanted her to be financially stable. So I had her working for a financial services company, which I do as well. Um, and you know, she had been very savvy with her investments over the years. And so she didn't actually need to work after she was eliminated. She got, she did get a very nice severance package. Yes, Uh, she did. You negotiated that well for her. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So she was able to kind of do what she wanted and she found this this little house um, out in this rural town when she was driving through with a friend of hers, and she decided she was going to buy it. And so, all right, now you, you have to share the name of the town. It's Frog Ledge. <laughs> <laughs> so Frog Ledge is a hybrid. It, it's it's a fictional town, but it's a kind of a hybrid of a couple of towns around where I live in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those towns has. Um, a history, uh, you know, going back to the Revolutionary War about frogs. So there are frogs all over the place. There's four big, huge ceramic, or, or I'm not really sure what they're made of, but some kind of a an architectural frog um, on all four corners of the bridge in town. There's frogs in front of every store. You know, there's just a, a very big thing with frogs. So I thought that would be really cute to um to make animals part of the, the town name. It is an interesting little town. The things they celebrate are interesting. And in, in the case of this book, there's there's an unusual celebration, at least in my experience. <laughs> in mine as well. That I, I completely pulled that out of thin air. But I thought, you know, there's some quirky people living here, so they probably do a lot of quirky things, and this could be one of them. So you have, you have some great characters in here. Um, give listeners a sense of the character family that you've created here. Sure. So it's it's kind of like what I've experienced here in Connecticut, a lot of diversity, um, people coming from different places and kind of landing here either by accident or, you know, just because they, they've come here for work or, or something. Um, so in, in Frog Ledge, we have, um, we have a lot of nice little businesses. We have a pub, which is a central part of the story. Um, the owner is Jake McGee, and that eventually becomes Stan's love interest. <laughs> 
uh, we have a New Orleans transplant. Her name is Shar, and she came here and met her husband. Um, and now they run an alpaca farm and a bed and breakfast. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yes, we have a lot of interesting folks. Then we have Izzy, who runs the sweet shop and the gourmet coffee shop, because I could never imagine a town without gourmet coffee and chocolate. So uh-huh. I had to have that in the story. <laughs> And there's, there's a scene in this book where Stan goes in for coffee and she smells what's baking and she eats what's baking. And she, instead of getting coffee, she drinks this other chocolate drink. And I just my blood pressure started rising just thinking about <laughs> taking all that chocolate in at one time. But it, it I could smell it. <laughs> she, she's good at it. She's had a lot of practice and she goes and runs on the uh, on the green. So she tries to get rid of all of the chocolate that she's intaking. So. <laughs> Now, this is your first series, the Positively Organic Mystery Series, and your first book, Needing to Die, you were nominated for uh, an Agatha Award, right? Yes, I was. That's not a bad way to get started in the world of writing. No, it was, it was fabulous. Absolutely amazing experience. When did you decide you wanted to write? Um, probably back when I could pick up a pen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> Yeah, I used to, I was a huge reader even before I could read. Um, My mother used to read to me every day. And then I learned to read really early. So I just read my own books. Um, And then I, you know, as I got older, I, I could, I just always knew I wanted to to write stories like these. Um, And so eventually I started kind of recreating books that I was reading. I I would sit down and retype them just to kind of get the feel of the flow of of how a book was written. Uh Um, And, you know, it just kind of went from there. Was that actually helpful? Because I have heard people that, that teach that as a technique, and I've tried it myself, and it, it kind of works. Did it work for you? It did. I mean, I was young at the time, but uh-huh. I remember, you know, just getting a good sense of chapters and pacing and, mm-hmm. you know, how to kind of – of course, I didn't know what, what those things really were at that point, but, you know, just how to make a story kind of fit together and keep someone's interest. Now, then your educational background, you have a master's degree in writing and publishing, Yes. So that's interesting. I didn't know there was such a degree in in writing and publishing. So what what does that actually mean? So I went to Emerson College, which Mm -hmm. is, as you know, a communication school. They have fabulous programs. Um, So this is a Master of Arts. Um, They also have MFAs over there, Mm -hmm. um, which I did not do. But so the Master of Arts in Writing and Publishing was, you know, I, I picked from a variety of classes. I took a couple of novel writing classes, short stories, Um, I did a lot on the publishing side, so I did some courses on magazine publishing, book publishing. Um, You know, it was just, it was a great overview into the industry. Now, I thought that if you you went to a college like that and you came out with a degree like that, that you are required almost by by law to write literary fiction. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny because I did, I went to school, obviously, with a lot of folks who who wrote literary fiction. Uh Some of them I found delightful, some of them I did not. Um, and I just, you know, I, I always read mysteries. I was always a fan of crime. I don't know why. Uh, well, my grandfather was a police detective, so oh. probably, probably plays into it. Um, but I mean, way back in sixth grade, my very first research paper that I ever wrote was on a true crime that happened up in Boston, the Charles Stewart case. And it's just something that, you know, the whys of, of why people do these things have always fascinated me. So when I got out of grad school, I was just kind of dabbling. I didn't really know what I wanted to write. And then one day it occurred to me that I love to read mysteries, so why wasn't I writing them? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I went from there. What's the first mystery that you remember reading? 
Uh, Nancy Drew, definitely. Okay. Yeah. And I'm the same way, except for the Hardy Boys. And, and <laughs> I mean, it's just <laughs> fabulous <laughs> times. I, I have clear memories of laying down, down on the sofa and reading one Hardy Boys mystery after another. And it's actually the first thing that I spent my own money for, other than candy, were Hardy Boys, Hardy Boys books. Yep. So what did you go from Nancy Drew? What was next? What what kind of things did you really enjoy reading back then? So I read all, you know, obviously all the Nancy Drew. I read Trixie Belden. She's uh-huh. not, she wasn't as well known, I don't think, as Nancy, but I loved all her books, too. I did read some of the Hardy Boys. Um, and I remember when they had the show on TV, I loved the oh, show. Oh, yeah, that was great. <laughs> and, you know, I just, I read a lot of just anything. I read a lot of true crime back then um, because journalism, you know, I eventually went into journalism. Mm-hmm. Journalism fascinated me. So I, I found myself reading a lot of true crime stories, um, you know, again, cases that were close to me. So uh, the Pam Smart murder case, that happened up near where I lived. Um, So that was something I was kind of obsessed with. So there were a few books written on that. I remember, you know, diving into those. Um, And then, you know, as I got into grad school, well, college and grad school, I read a lot of Edgar Allan Poe and, you know, all the creepy, crazy Uh stuff. That's always been my thing. (laughs) You have now with your background. You have a public relations background. Are you actually working in public relations now? I work in marketing right now. Okay. So yeah, so communications and marketing is what I've been doing in financial services for the past five years. So right now I market financial products. <laughs> I saw on your on your website, and I very rarely see anything like this. A tagline for your series, which is healthy, animal friendly, and a little deadly. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> so now I know where it came from. This is this is what you do. Yes. <laughs> How helpful is it as uh, an author in today's world of of publishing to have a background like that? You know, it, it's I think it's invaluable because so much of what we do, um, you, you know, you have to be out there promoting yourself and marketing yourself. I recently heard a story from my agent about, and I don't know who it was or, or any of those details, but I did hear that you know certain publishers are really looking at social media accounts and things like that when they're determining whether or not to renew contracts nowadays. So, you know, it's not just writing a good book anymore. It's about being out there and promoting yourself in addition to what the publishers are doing for you. So it it really is helpful to have some kind of sense of, of how to do that correctly. I'm sure you have a lot of writer friends. Do you, do you have a sense that most people understand this now and are, are they embracing it or is it something that people are gritting their teeth and doing? You know, I think mostly people are embracing it. I know there's some that, you know, they kind of do it because they have to and they make that clear. But, you know, for the most part, I think people realize that it's one, it's it's a necessity and two, that they actually enjoy it when they start doing it because you you can connect with readers. And I think that's the most important thing. You know, these people are enjoying your books and you get like real time feedback. I mean, on my Facebook page, I have people commenting all the time. Oh, I just finished your book. I loved it. When's the next one coming? And it's great to be able to have that communication with your readers. Yes, especially when this is your third book. So, and the the third book has just come out. So it's not like you're a grizzled veteran of the business. What was it like with the release of the first book to start getting feedback and and positive feedback? I looked at the reviews on your uh, Amazon page and you had a ton of reviews for the first book and overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of beyond my wildest dreams. You know, I didn't, I I had no idea what any of this was going to look like. Um, I just knew that I had to write this book by this date. And then whatever (laughs) happened after that was kind of a mystery. Um, But to have it 
to have it so well received was just really a dream come true. And to get an Agatha nomination, I mean, oh yeah, I, I mean, I almost fell on the floor. I don't, I don't think I even knew what to say to the woman on the other end of the phone when she called to tell me. She probably thought I had fainted or something. Um, <laughs> so they called you rather than calling your agent. Yeah, they call. Yeah, they call you directly. Okay. Well, that's see, I don't know that because it hasn't <laughs> happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> Give it time. <laughs> Well, that's exciting. So when you when you first sat down to write the book, did you develop the character set first or did they just kind of grow organically as you were writing? So I started out with I actually started out with the setting for for this series mm -hmm. um, because so there is a, a green that that resembles the green in my books nearby and that's where my, I take my dogs to walk and and all that so started out with the setting and thinking you know it'd be really cool if if this series took place right around here this is kind of the center of of the town um, and I knew you know Stan was going to be the main character had a couple of ideas for the others but then you know as I really kind of got into crafting the town I was thinking mm -hmm. oh I need a I need a newspaper and so. <laughs> <laughs> my my journalist Cyril Pierce was born, um, so yeah, you know, I started out with a few that I that I knew were going to be involved, and then they grew from there. Okay, well, this sounds like it's been an amazing ride for you. What's the best way for people to keep up with you and what you're doing? Is it your website or is it one of your social media accounts? Definitely Facebook, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I'm, I'm really active on my. You know, I have a website. It's it's. Currently, um, it's going to be updated pretty soon because I did just sign to do a new series. Um, oh, cool. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So this is going to be under a different name, so I have to rebrand myself um, a little bit. So the website's going to be in flux for a bit. Okay, so Facebook is the, best place, is the best place to do. I'm going to link to your Facebook page. I'll also link to the website for people that want to just see it and, and keep up with you that way and maybe get some hint as to where you're going. Anything else you'd, you'd like me to link to? Um, could you also link to my group blog? It's called wickedcozyauthors.com. Um, and it's a group. There are six of us. We're cozy writers, and we, we all write stories based in New England. Uh -huh. And it's a really fun place to be. You'll find a lot of um, great reading material there. So please check it out. I will do that. Liz, it's been an absolute treat chatting with you today. Thank you so much. You as well. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. And if you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and give us a rating or a review. It'll help other cozy readers find great new books like Liz's The Icing on the Corpse. Thanks for listening. <laughs>